Hi, everybody. So another talk on dermoscopy. This time I dug into some of the most recent publications on dermoscopy. So the title of this is really what's new in dermoscopy. Sometimes it's a summary of stuff we already knew, but it never hurts to see more pictures. Uh, I have no conflicts related to this topic. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things. So uh, some inflammatory changes in the skin, some uh, particularly with hair. I love to use dermoscopy for hair findings. We're going to look at certainly some pigmented lesions, um, some non-pigmented lesion type malignancies, but also other benign type lesions. We're also going to look at some more special sites, especially acral skin. So this was an interesting study that I thought reinforced using dermoscopy even when you think you really don't need it, and that is preoperatively. So I had heard of using Wood's Light to look at pigmented lesions, especially things like lenticle maligna ahead of time because it can help demarcate where the lesion is. This study looked at basal cells and using dermoscopy to help find the clinical edge or dermoscopic edge of the lesion. Um, and this was a nice reminder. I always learn something in the introduction of a paper. So uh, the reminder here was that we have incomplete removal of a basal cell when we do an excision anywhere from 5% of the time to 24% of the time. So that's one in 20 to one in four. Now, admittedly, that upper range is probably if I'm trying to do an excision of a tricky uh, histopathologic subtype, like an infiltrating basal cell, where we know it's really hard to see the clinical edge of those. But they asked the question, can dermoscopy help us improve our accuracy so we don't leave basal cell behind when we think that our margin, especially with this one, they thought the clinical edge of the lesion was where the blue was. And if you added on your two or three millimeters, we can see here that two uh, millimeters is about this wide, we would have left potentially some of these streamers, which have a little bit of pigment in them. You can see coming out from the edge, we potentially would have left some of this behind if we just drew our two or three millimeter margins toward the edge. So the answer in this paper was yes. If we put dermoscopy down on a basal cell, it helps us, and in two-thirds of the cases, adjusted where we put the markings as we were getting ready to do that um, excision. So I tend to pull out my dermatoscope even as I'm preoperatively planning, so that way I get a more complete removal. So looking at this image, we've got this pretty fat vessel. Um, we've got some of this kind of white structuralist area overlying pretty vascular because it's very pink plaque or pink papule. And you know, we're thinking, okay, basal cell, I'm gonna biopsy this, but is that an arborizing vessel? Um, and this is a reminder in this paper, they looked at a lot of amelanotic, like this lesion on the left, amelanotic melanomas, or, you know, technically some people call these hypomelanotic melanomas because there's still a little bit of pigment in this lesion on the right, but it's certainly not that big black melanoma that, you know, if, if you're looking for the ugly duckling, it's not always a darkly pigmented lesion. Sometimes it's the pink lesion that doesn't fit the pattern. So how can we help ourselves find that amelanotic or hypomelanotic melanoma on somebody if we put our dermatoscope down on it? 
Well, one is your brain might be expecting to see arborizing vessels like a basal cell, but while this arborizing vessel is pretty fat, um, in a real basal cell, we'd kind of expect that to be reaching over half of the lesion. And also a lot of times that trunk is down at the clinical edge of the basal cell rather than starting uh, sort of partway into the lesion. We also see some dotted vessels over here in the center of this lesion and this white structureless area. So this can be seen in a basal cell, but it also can be seen in melanoma polymorphous vessels. This is, again, a sign of a malignancy, but maybe I'm not going to put my stake in the ground and give my patient that sort of, this is most likely a basal cell kind of a, a talk. I'm going to say, you know, I want to biopsy this. I'm a little bit worried about it. I'm going to have a plan for you when I call you rather than dedicating myself to a, a, a diagnosis. And on the right-hand side, this sort of lack of structure, what happened to this lesion that you know, admittedly is asymmetrical, it's not nicely distributed, meaning it can fold half over and have it um, mimic itself on the other side. It's just sort of like it drops out in the center here. Uh, we've also got some serpentine vessels in this lesion, but also some dotted vessels. So that mixture together giving us this polymorphous, which is a, a concerning pattern of, of vessels. And then what is this, you know, pigment just hanging off to the side? This is this is looking like pigment network. And so that puts us in the melanocytic category in our two questions. Is it melanocytic, pigment network, globules, or homogeneous blue-gray? I'm kind of now down in that category and it's not fitting a nice nevus pattern. Uh, so in hypomelanotic uh, melanomas, we sometimes get this little bit of a clue. So look at the whole lesion. Just a reminder, using cartoons of those vascular patterns that at the top are reassuring. So we've got those maroon lagoons, which vary from, you know, a, a kind of tomato red to a very dark maroon. We've got that um, string of pearls in clear cell acanthomas, comma-shaped vessels with a little bit of pigment, as we might see in a dermal nevus. And then we've got the yellow globules and crowning vessels like we see in uh, sebaceous gland growth, like sebaceous hyperplasia. But when we're seeing a lot of hairpin vessels, dotted vessels, mixtures of these all together and polymorphous and just milky red areas, that is very concerning. Uh, this is my favorite one. So glomerular vessels, which look like little nests or um, coils. So this is a nice example of, let's look at the whole thing. Let's look at the whole thing, not just right in the center, which is usually where my eye goes, but we've got this kind of smear of pigment uh, at the periphery. Um, arguably, we're not sure if it has really good pigment network, but you know, it's not looking like the gray-blue globules like I might expect to see in a basal cell. It doesn't have that spoke wheel pattern or maple leaf pattern. So I'm going to put this more in the pigmented lesion category, and it's not fitting a real nice uh, nevus pattern. And especially if we look at the predominance of this lesion, it's a pink thing. So thinking of vascular patterns, we've got these very long serpentine vessels. We've got dotted vessels, polymorphous. Uh, this ends up being an amelanotic melanoma. So take-homes here are look at the vascular patterns, look for pigment, um, because that is going to have you maybe slightly less uh, thinking that it's a basal cell and maybe more worried that what you're biopsying is, is actually a melanoma. So 
Switching to another part of the literature, this was a group that reviewed some of the findings on the scalp. If I don't have to biopsy a scalp, I don't really want to. I always need six hands because there's just blood coming up, you know, out of that spot. Um, there are lots of hints and ways that you can try and make it less bloody, but it is always a little bit of a mess. So again, I want to try and avoid it when I can. So I tend to put my dermatoscope down on a lot of scalps. And these are findings of trichotillosis, which is another term for trichotillomania. It's hair pulling. And this can be a little bit tricky because not everybody is aware, as I scratch my ear and you're wondering if I'm going to start pulling on my hair, um, not everybody is aware that they have this habit. And so their insight is not always um, completely there in their history. They're not going to be able to say, yeah, you know, I pull on my hair. So how can we get clues that maybe somebody is doing this either um, sort of subconsciously or consciously? Well, one of the findings here, this dark brown area or reddish area is hemorrhage. So that's the traumatic removal of those antigen hairs, which are pretty well rooted down in there. Uh, this is another area of hemorrhage on another scalp that has trichotillosis. The orange arrows here are pointing to hairs that are broken. So you can kind of see how they're sheared and have a very sharp or blunt end. Uh, these are broken off but at different lengths and so this is again a supporting sign of trichotillosis. Uh, the green arrow is pointing to what the authors call a mace hair. So again I find that dermoscopists really uh, love to find new ways of describing things that I'm a lumper. I, I'm like that kind of sort of it looks like a broken hair rather than something totally different, um, but a mace hair. So I was like, what is a mace and why did you name it that? Well, Google told me uh, a mace is sort of this long, um, what? This is a weapon um, at the end of a, a staff or a hammer, and it's a little bit more bulbous. So lots of different types of maces. This one might describe it the best where it's this broadened end but let's go back. So maybe a little bit of a mace, but to me, you know, broken hair. And some of these are broken off right at the skin edge. So this black dot is also a, a sign of trichotillosis. So trichotillosis, <clears throat> here's another zoomed in image. Um, what we can see here in this circle is one of those mace hairs where the hair is broken off. It's a little bit wider at this end and tapered down here. And this is another sign of trichotillosis. Um, this is a broom hair or feather hair where the hairs have been bent um, and they fray at the end. So trichotillosis, trichotillomania, and that is in comparison to alopecia areata. The distribution of trichotillosis clinically is usually a bizarre pattern. It's not round, it's not oval, uh, it's kind of geometric and a little linear. Um, whereas with alopecia areata, you're certainly gonna see a more typical round or oval spot, but you're also gonna see more of these exclamation point hairs, so more tapered as they get down into the scalp. Uh, this is where there's probably an immune insult that's in, impacting that hair growth. And you can see these hairs are all kind of a similar length compared to the very different lengths 
in the trichotillosis patient. So mace hairs, broken hairs, those feather or broomstick hairs at the bottom of this image compared to alopecia areata where you're not seeing the hemorrhage, you just have these round, yellow, empty follicles, um, not broken off at the surface, and those nice tapered exclamation point hairs. So I'm gonna lean into it, you know, pandemic. This is one of my most favorite memes that, that kept me going uh, during the pandemic. And as we were, you know, homeschooling my, my two daughters who are nine and 13, um, and I'll admit it, uh, uh, yes, <laughs> homeschooled by day drinkers. Um, but this also reminds me that dermoscopy is not something we just use on adults. It is for kids. So there was a couple of uh, really nice articles looking at how dermoscopy can be used for pediatric patients. Um, so what did they find? Dermoscopy, just like we use it in adults with that intent to decrease the number of biopsies, if I don't have to biopsy a kid, I want to biopsy kids even less than I want to biopsy scalps. Um, so in children, we perform a thousand biopsies for every single melanoma we end up finding. So our ratio of benign to malignant is much higher compared to adults. Um, now granted, sometimes we're doing these biopsies, not really with the intent of figuring out if something is malignancy, but because it's just in a bad place, the kid or the parents just wanna get rid of it. But we still don't wanna have to put a child through a procedure if we don't have to. Especially young children, um, very often they have to be sedated, even for something as simple as an in-office biopsy. And a reminder that the differential for children is gonna be different compared to adults. So things are a lot more common in kids like congenital nevi, vascular lesions that are suddenly popping up. They're also suddenly getting acquired nevi, more inflammatory conditions and spitz nevi. So keeping an eye on these, which can very often mimic uh, malignancy, which thankfully is rare, but we wanna find them. So congenital nevi. Congenital nevi can be really tough. They very often have these very large globules in them. Um, so cutoffs in size here, a reminder that a small congenital nevus does not have an increased melanoma risk um, compared to other just acquired nevi. But as we start to get into larger and giant congenital melanocytic uh, nevi, the risk of melanoma is much, much higher. So knowing what to look for in that background of a now bigger congenital melanocytic nevus, I think was a really nice feature of this article. So they said, you know what, in a, a congenital nevus, you're more likely to see lots of globules. Uh, there might be some peripheral reticular network. You're going to see areas of hypopigmentation, especially perifolicularly. But what should you be looking for when something is concerning for melanoma? So negative network. Uh, and a reminder of what real kind of typical network looks like is up in the upper right. So that's where the dermal papillae give you those white stones with that brown lace around it. This is the opposite. You now have brown kind of islands with white lace around that. So a mirror image or x-ray opposite image. This is the negative of the upper right image. This is also those shiny white structures concerning for malignancy. 
Again, you can see it in basal cells, you can see it in melanoma. Uh, this is another melanoma arising with a congenital nevus. We're seeing these more angular, kind of thickened lines rather than that nice lace. We see these white areas that are losing structure. So negative network, white homogeneous areas, streaky white, atypical network, all concerning signs. Now, congenital nevi on an acral area, again, common in kids, you're going to see peas in a pod. Um, so while this pigment is more towards the ridge, it looks like little green peas all lined up in a pod. And other nevi on the acral surface have different patterns. So parallel lines, this is a, again, another benign pattern. Those parallel lines can sometimes have little globules in them just like a congenital nevus somewhere else on the body might have globules in it, even the ones on the acral surface will have a mixture of the typical network, which are these parallel lines, but with globules interspersed. And you can start to see how it's lining up sort of like peas in a pod. Uh, the other pattern here, this is more in a, an area of traction. Um, this is the double lattice or double lines. I'm sorry, uh, doubled parallel lines. Lattice is this pattern here where you're starting to get sort of a ladder, lattice, ladder, that's why I remind myself. Um, we have the parallel lines with a little bit of pigment starting to cross over and bring those two parallel lines together. And then this is fibrillar. This is another uh, finding of moles that is normal and often kind of in a place where there's a lot of friction or shearing like on the side of the foot. Um, so you can almost see the background of the parallel lines running this way, but with that shearing sort of smearing it a little bit uh, in the opposite direction. So all very normal and common patterns for nevi on acral surfaces. The one on the far right, peas in a pod, this is a congenital nevus. So that's just a, another benign finding, but just because it comes up early, different pattern. So what we see in this one, pigment network, globules, but we see those globules kind of dispersed around the edge as well as pretty symmetrically into the middle of this nevus. So that is very normal. And this is a reminder that when we're looking at kids' moles, it's normal to have them in a growth phase, which is when they have peripheral globules and central, very normal pigment network. As that mole stabilizes and grows older with us, we lose the globules and we start to just have a very nice even pigment network. And then the reminder that as our patients continue to grow old with us and their moles do too, we start to have those moles regress and break apart, but they do it in a symmetrical way where you're not seeing half of this lesion suddenly getting lighter where there's that white or structural area. This is an overall symmetry, very similar to the patchy reticular cartoon that's at the bottom of the page here. So if I walked in and saw this on a kid, I would definitely be pulling out my dermatoscope and I might be prepping my brain to think, please let this be a pigmented spitz. Uh, sometimes we call those a reeds nevus. Please don't let it be a melanoma. So we put our dermatoscope down. What are we expecting to see for a pigmented spitz or again, a reeds nevus? What we're expecting to see are these pseudopods, which um, sort of look like a tennis racket. They're a little bit bulbous. They're pushing out at the edges and they're doing it around the entire lesion. Now, 
granted, this is a concerning lesion. You know, pseudopods, especially asymmetrically in a lesion or just in part of a lesion, that would be concerning to me. I would biopsy that off. In a lot of kids, something this black, people are not really excited to walk out of clinic with it. So sometimes we're doing dermoscopy to decide, is this a biopsy today kind of a thing? Or can we let them, you know, go out, get some Elemax, you know, wrap their brain around this thing. Um, but I would say a lot of the kids who are in our clinic or teens, um, they're having that spitz nevus off. Another pattern we see in spitz nevi, especially in those very bright pink uh, spitz nevi is this dotted pattern, but again, it's a consistent dotting across the entire lesion, not just in part of a lesion. This is the negative network. So uh, again, in comparison to typical network on the lower right, where we have the, the laciness, the lightness in this, the is the brown, whereas the stones, the kind of bigger part of this is the lighter white or light tan compared to this lesion where the laciness is now that white or lighter color and it's working its way around darker areas in between. So negative network is another feature of a spitz nevus, especially a reed version of that. So reed's nevus, which is directly pigmented. Again, this would be something that I would be biopsying off, um, but could I give them a little bit of time and have them come back a week later? Um, but it's still something we're very likely to take off. Now, this is a spitzoid melanoma. You walk in, you know, maybe I'm optimistic that day. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a spitz nevus. Well, put the dermatoscope down on it and, you know, I'm not seeing negative network. I'm not seeing those pseudopods out at the edge. I'm seeing this kind of gray-white veil in the center, perhaps a little, little suggestion of maybe erosion here, and then some atypical globules. You know, I'm not seeing structures like this, globules like this, elsewhere on this lesion. And so even something as minor as just a few little globules is important. That is a collection of cells a nest of cells. Why is it nesting in only one part of a nevus? If this is a child with a growing pigmented lesion, I would expect the whole thing to be growing if it's a more normal lesion. If only part of something is changing, that's when I start to worry about uh, malignancy. So this is a spitzoid melanoma. And again, comparing and contrasting these findings to those of the spitz nevus, whether it's the pigmented or non-pigmented, there is an important difference there. So amelanotic melanomas are a little more common in the pediatric population. Um, so here, again, maybe we'd be hoping to see those consistent dotted vessels for a spitz nevus, but we look down and, you know, there's sort of a white structureless area. There's some longer serpentine vessels. There might be some dotted vessels or even the start of some glomerular vessels. So polymorphous vessel patterns along with structureless areas, this needs to be biopsied. All right, but kids get inflammatory things. So I put this uh, list of things. What could this be? Because they are all things that happen to children. Um, I once got shown an unknown as I was training 
that you know just was bizarre and we were all over the place epidermal nevus crazy inflammatory you know genetic diseases and it was gum that was stuck to a kid's skin and had been there for two weeks. So it was all brown and kind of dried out in this weird pattern. Um, so crazy stuff happens with kids. Um, could it be a splinter? You know, it's kind of brown, it's embedded in the skin. Um, tinea, you know, it's got that kind of lacy trailing scale a little bit, but look at this little triangle that almost looks like a little fighter jet or a plane. And this is the scabies mite with its kind of contrail of scale left behind it. So this can help you diagnose scabies without maybe having to really scrape at somebody who is wiggly and not all that excited that you want to scrape them. Uh, so, so findings of scabies on dermoscopy. Kids are a lot more likely to get vascular things, but compared to our older patients who get lots of cherry angiomas, um, our kids get other types of vascular neoplasms. So this is a hemangioma, and while it's red, like the color of a cherry angioma, it's got sort of this white um, sort of veil over top. Um, the color helps you to know if this is a more superficial hemangioma. So this is bright red, therefore it's more superficial. If you saw a darker blue, uh, like the colors of this angioma, um, if that was what you were seeing in this, you might worry that there is a deeper extent to this hemangioma. Um, so the color of red, um, this sort of plaque finding, this helps you to uh, suspect that this is a hemangioma that is, you know, probably in an infant just coming on out of nowhere and probably pretty concerning to the parents um, and giving them a sense of, you know, this is an angioma. Um, it looks like it's at the surface compared to maybe a, a mixed hemangioma that's down deeper. Um, in contrast, a capillary malformation almost has this uh, peppering of red dotted vessels. Um, this is usually something that's present more at birth, though it can be a little harder to see, um, and then gets darker and thicker with age. We're not seeing a whole lot of background, you know, just complete redness because this is a younger child, so it hasn't gotten as thick and hypertrophic with age. So dotted vessels, not the lacunae. This homogeneous red color with this collar at the edge, this is a pyogenic granuloma. And one last benign growth, which has a really, I, I think, beautiful description for its finding, which is a setting sun. So this is a juvenile xanthogranuloma, uh, or JXG for short. This is a benign growth, though it's lumped or clustered into a type of histiocytosis. Um, they can be congenital, but usually pop up before the age of three years old. And it's just a reaction pattern. So we don't know why they come on. It might be due to trauma of some sort, but they don't, you know, it's not a rash. They're not going to spread. Um, but very often when you first walk in, these have sort of like a, is this an EIC? But no, it's a kid. Um, is this a Spitz nevus that I'm going to see when I put my dermatoscope down on it? Um, but instead you see this setting sun with this golden orange center and a little bit of um, pink or uh, red at the periphery. Um, so these typically will go away on their own, but if they don't, or it's not looking like this, so meaning atypical, 
Uh, sometimes when kids have multiple of them, we want to make sure it's not another form of histiocytosis, which can sometimes be associated with bone or um, bone marrow changes. Um, and sometimes if they're near the eye, children can have a ocular uh, JXG as well, and that can cause some problems. So typically when lesions are near the eye, it means um, also send them to the ophthalmologist to have an exam. But a single one that is not near the eye, um, you can reassure them and, you know, take your dermatoscope, give them an extra hard look, the parents are going to appreciate the extra effort. So last one, um, something that can surprise parents, even though this is a congenital lesion, nevus sebaceous, it becomes more prominent over time. And so what we're seeing, just as a reminder, this is a typical sebaceous hyperplasia in the lower right-hand corner. We're seeing that nice clustering of these white-yellow globules with a little bit of vascularity here and there crossing over those little globules. So again, dermatoscope lets us look clinically, but then get extra information that reassures us and our parents of young patients. So just in summary, lots of things happening in dermoscopy literature in the last year or so that it can help us be more accurate as we're planning surgically, that it can help us to find things that maybe we thought were just a pink mole or a basal cell, but really are those tricky melanomas, the amelanotic and hypomelanotic. Um, and hair loss, again, if we don't have to biopsy the scalp, cheers to us and cheers to our patient who we didn't have to give a scar to. So distinguishing trichotillosis versus maybe the alopecia areata that a patient might think they have. Um, and that dermoscopy can be really helpful in kids, helps us to find concerning lesions happening within a larger congenital melanocytic nevus, helps us to find those congenital nevi, especially on acral areas, to distinguish spitz nevi from more concerning malignancies vascular proliferations like a hemangioma or a pyogenic granuloma, and then yellow things like the nevus sebaceous and the JXG. So thanks so much. And we're going to have one more dermoscopy talk with some case challenges. Thank you.